You're a one of the prime examples of that because you start off in you're from Singapore and then you start a few companies in in uh, the UK, right? And then you're now in Bali. So let's start with your journey there uh, from from Singapore, then to the UK, and then wherever else. Uh, definitely. So I grew up in in Singapore, half uh, Singapore and half British. Uh, went to school till I was 15 there. Then went to boarding school or high school in the UK. Um, off um, wh whilst I was in school, was building different websites and apps. Uh, since I was like 13, um, ran a popular like um, studying platform. Also ran like a video conferencing platform uh, when I was 16. And after school, I, I chose not to go to university because a few of my apps and platforms were, were doing quite well and uh, started a social network as um, something for fun. And then it, it got 25,000 users the first weekend and wow. then grew to a few million users and was uh, one of the top social networks in the UK. Uh, sold a video conferencing app around that time. Um, it, it was very similar to Zoom or, or Skype, um, offering like, encrypted video calling. And yeah, I guess my passion has been to sort of create and build things, mostly in the technology space. Now we're focused on unit ventures, mm -hmm. which is helping people find work. So we power a few different uh, marketplaces, similar to Airbnb or Uber, where we help people find uh, work and jobs and um, people who are looking to hire, like say a, a yoga teacher, um, a coach, a um, book and artist, find a property we basically made that connection and i guess the really cool thing is that the ownership of the platform is not just held by the the co-founders like myself yeah investors it's also held by the customers and the employees okay. so we believe that's like the progression in terms of where the economy is headed okay well we can talk about that first but i also wanted to talk about um your experiences doing business in southeast asia and particularly bali because I heard last time you're building a whole village, a whole community here in Bali, right? Do you have time to take us on a tour later? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, so we, yeah, so we can do that. We can, oh yeah, go on, go on, sorry. No, please, please answer. No, I was just gonna say, uh, depending on how we break up the session, you can give us a tour later. Uh, so we can talk about doing business in Southeast Asia and Bali a little bit later if you want. So you can wrap that up with the tour. So right now we can talk about unit ventures if you want. Um, well, I, I think it could, could be really nice to dive into uh, like why Bali or, or places like this are such an amazing place. I yeah, of course. Let's do that. So I, I've lived in about like eight um, capitals. So like Shanghai, Hong Kong, uh, New York, uh, spent some time in San Francisco and London, in, in Berlin also a lot of time. And um, also places like um, like, like Thailand or um, Kofingan or Phuket or Bangkok or, or Bali. And, and what I've found is that the quality of life in a place like Bali is just so much higher. People are happier. It's much less expensive. In, in places like London, most people are kind of just surviving in the sense that their, their rent is super high. They're commuting like an hour to get to work or back from work. And, and one thing I really love about somewhere like Bali and um, for instance, Thailand is is people are just happy, you know, they've got time to do things they enjoy. Um, the, the, the work that they're doing, they really love to do. They're not complaining about like several different things all the time. So yeah, I, I really enjoy it. And also the group of people, like the, the community here, I feel is really strong and also extremely talented people, like top entrepreneurs and investors in the world have 
like decided to move here or spend lots of time so yeah and you talk about community now now are you talking about like when, when you say you spend time with the community are you talking about the locals or your fellow expats that have based have, have sort of seen the same uh thing as as you have i think it's a combination so i think one thing nice about bali is um many of the locals are quite integrated so if like for instance we organize a bunch of um conferences or meetups or talks or discussions and you do get a lot of locals who are participating and sort of um, inspiring the expats and also the expats are inspiring the locals so I think it's quite synergistic I'm, I'm really looking forward for this to sort of blend and merge together more nicely and fluidly. Okay I mean yeah it, I think it's pretty pretty obvious about the quality of life here in Bal uh, Bali or Southeast Asia in terms of the cost of living being cheaper and obviously the weather you're next to the beach and all like that. Um, are there any other strategic advantages from a business standpoint in terms of setting up here? Definitely. I think the, the huge market. So for instance, Indonesia is the fourth biggest um, country in the world in terms of population. So it's a huge, like growing uh, domestic market. Also around the region in terms of Southeast Asia, you know, Vietnam is one of the fastest growing economies in the world. Um, Malaysia, Thailand, um, like you mentioned, Singapore and Hong Kong are huge financial hubs. Mm -hmm. I, I used to work at um, one of the top funds in Europe. And I think many of the funds in Europe and the US are coming to Asia to mm -hmm. raise money from investors and, and startups are thinking, okay, like we need to get like investors from, from China or Singapore or Hong Kong or um, yeah. So there's a lot of access to financing here. Amazing, amazingly talented people who cost like a fraction of what they would in Silicon Valley or in London. Mm -hmm. So I, I, yeah, lots of advantages and uh, nature, I think is a huge plus. So Unit Ventures, would you say it's headquartered in Bali? Um, I don't think we're headquartered anywhere, actually. So okay. this village that we're power, we're, we're, I guess we have um, like a, a presence in, in Singapore, um, Bali, we're building this village to kind of showcase what we believe the future global economy to look like. So we, we do have a very strong presence here, though we have about like 35 people on our team and it's mm -hmm. well distributed, though m many of our core team members do spend a lot of time here. Or, or like mm. uh, coming in in the next few weeks. So yeah, look. yeah, yeah. So talk about how you've decided. You know how you know you you mentioned your team being spread across the world. How did that? Did did you do that in terms of like taking advantage of each country's um, strengths in terms of talent pool, or did it just happen organically? Was it uh, was there was there a method to to being based here and pulling talent from this and there? Do you know what I'm talking about? Definitely. So I, yeah. I think how we've sort of built our, our co-founding team and core team is to really find the best people for each of the different components of, of what we're doing, yeah. as well as people who align with like the vision and, and values of, of what we believe in. So that, that's kind of been the driving force in terms of bringing these people together. And yeah, I mean, we're hiring and growing our team. So uh, constantly looking for people who I believe in, in this sort of vision of a, a distributed cooperative economy, as well as providing uh, the future of work where, you know, people really enjoy what they do. Everyone is more or less an entrepreneur and has the, the freedom and agency for what they enjoy. So what skills are you looking for? Is it, are you just looking for software developers or what other industries are you looking for? And what countries do you, do you find these uh, pools of talent to mostly be in? Ex extremely broad. So we've got a huge um, 
we've got like a, a few a bunch of people in Berlin in Dubai um, in in London in Ibiza also we've got a few, a few people and we're looking for community builders we're looking for people who um, I guess are extremely open-minded and willing to kind of question or think about how things are done and and look at new ways of doing things so we're very active in the blockchain and um and crypto ecosystem which mm -hmm. moment is still extremely new in the sense that there isn't a bunch of th popular things or mainstream use of similar yeah. to like the early internet and i guess we're really excited to kind of bring this to the forefront and really use this super exciting piece of technology to empower people yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a second. I just want to ask one or two more questions about just doing business in Asia in general. Um, so you've set up in Bali um, and you've mentioned other countries as well. Uh, how have you found Southeast Asia or particularly Bali to be in terms of um, ease of doing business or accommodating foreigners uh, in foreign investments or, you know, your visa situation, you know, that whole, that whole, process of deciding to come here setting up a company as a foreigner and living here can talk us talk talk a little bit about that uh, definitely so i think things flow extremely nicely here so it's super fluid in terms of um like the visa situation the quality of living is is also in terms of like getting a, a beautiful place in terms of um getting a scooter or a car everything is is just very easy so if one was to move to say berlin or move to London or to Shanghai and, and sort out all the visa process and everything. It's, it can be super painful. And yeah. I think like so many friends are moving here in the next few weeks or the next few months. Okay. And the process is just super seamless. It's extremely inexpensive. In terms of the company setup, I think it is very easy, but um, it's, it's probably better to set up in a place like Singapore or Hong Kong, like mm -hmm. structurally, and then operate from... Uh, somewhere like Thailand or, or Bali in supporting that though like for instance we are speaking to um, like the minister of finance or the minister of investments to set up an entrepreneur and investor visa to make it even more easy to set up here yeah um, so for example I don't know about Bali but in Thailand it there are a few more boxes to check if you're a foreigner setting up here for example um, there there's more capital required um, uh, you you also I think you need you need a, you also need a local partner uh, for for various businesses unless you get approval from the board of investment, and in terms of your visa, um, you can only set up a business visa if you employ a certain amount of locals. So there's all these extra uh, uh, things to do as a foreigner in Thailand, and that does serve as sort of a challenge for people setting up business in Thailand. Is there anything like that in Bali where it's a bit more difficult compared to a local? Um, a little bit. So they do have these rules where you do need to hire uh, locals, like uh, so employ locals. And I, I guess there is a, a minimal uh, capital requirement, but yeah. many of these things, like it's, it's quite easy to, uh, to satisfy. So I don't, I, I've actually done some business in Thailand and. Um, it's actually much easier here in terms okay. of the regulatory framework. And I think also the cost of doing business here is less than Thailand, um, even though like Thailand is amazing. Yeah, but yeah. The community in both are also incredible. So places like yeah. Shanghai are a huge hub. I understand the motivation behind, let's say, the Thai government on placing all these restrictions because 
Um, they want to make sure that money is pouring in and they're hiring talent and all like that. But uh, sometimes it ends up being, you know, more of an impediment. You know, people end up going to other countries or um, sometimes there's restrictions to, let's say, for example, like, you know, a company is uh, owned by a foreigner is required to like hire four people, four, four ties. And so they would just hire warm bodies and would just be there and there'd be no real innovation because they're just hiring people for the sake of checking boxes. So it kind of backfires in a way for Thailand and it would be nice to see a little bit more, you know, open openness here in Thailand, but it seems like Bali, um, they're more welcoming to businesses like that. I, I totally agree with you. It's the same thing in Singapore. So Singapore uh, had a policy about 12 years ago where they were attracting foreign talent as, as they described. Yeah. And, um, a lot of the locals were very annoyed because the people coming in were taking their jobs. So they, they implemented some of the rules you mentioned. The issue with that though, is that many of the jobs, the, the locals in Singapore didn't want to do. And um, they, they made it much more tricky to kind of innovate and experiment. And I think what you mentioned, like creating this environment for innovation and experimentation and um, making mistakes and also learning and then improving on is so important because that's yeah. where you really get um, yeah. And also like, you know, when, when a country sees foreigners, really talented foreigners coming in and taking over all the jobs, like that should be a good thing. That's, that should be a wake up call for the locals to re-up their skills and educate themselves and, and try to compete. Now, when you have these restrictions over, it's like you, you, you foster complacency and, and, and you don't, you just remain in your, in your comfort zone and you're not really able to compete with the world. You know because of this yeah i totally agree i do think though that like governments you know they do need to support their local people so in the yeah. case of Singapore, one thing that one thing i felt that it could improve is is really uh, nurturing the the locals because yeah. what, what would happen is someone would come in from from europe or the us and then they'll be put on a pedestal uh, they'll be given lots of financing and right. like local startups and um innovations were treated as a second class which, which is quite surprising because you know mm -hmm. times governments would would like look, look at the local company as, as someone that they really want to succeed but mm. what, what i noticed in singapore was they they really uh, treated foreign companies much better than sort of local ones so oh, i, I just think a combination of the two in terms of attracting extremely talented people from abroad as well as really giving an opportunity for uh, the, mm. the local to shine yeah. Okay. That's a good point. I guess there's a balancing act to be done on both ends and basically creating an equal playing field for both foreigners and locals. So speaking of business, uh, I think we got a lot to cover in terms of unit ventures. I checked out your website. You guys are doing a lot of stuff here, marketplace, community and token. So um, yeah, you have the floor on uh, what, what you're doing here. Uh, definitely. So in terms of communities, what we're building is, um, hubs in different cities so we're active in about 30 cities at the moment okay. where we've done about 2000 talks and sessions and meetups so of building up this um community similar to if you're familiar so house or the world economic forum these are like really tight-knit communities of people who sort of exchange ideas working on, on solving problems and and collaborating and and what we're focused on is seeing how we can create these hubs all, all around the world so We've identified about 60 cities in Asia, 40 cities in Middle East and Africa, 50 in Europe and 50 in the Amer North and South America. 
and, and we're, we're sort of planting seeds in different ones and, and giving an opportunity for people to be more supportive of one another and less competitive, more collaborative. Okay. And how we're doing that is we are um, building marketplaces. So if you look at Uber, you know, Uber was a huge innovation in terms of connecting drivers and customers. Uh, Airbnb made it super easy for any of a spare room or apartment to kind of rent their place. There, there's a bunch of industries which there, there aren't um, platforms and units providing the technology, investing in them as well as supporting um, like pe people to sort of build marketplaces and all, all done with the use of tokens. Okay. Well, actually, you know what, let's actually step back at a more higher level and let's talk about like, what, what is your mission statement here? What is, what is UniVenture seeking to, to, to affect and change? So I guess underlying is solving the inequity in the world. The okay. And wealth. Okay. So you're seeing uh, uh, financial economic inequality in the world, right? Uh, what do you think would be the cause of, is the cause of that? And therefore, how are you plugging unit ventures into solving that? Definitely. So fundamentally, why we have this huge gap is because the people who have money are the ones who start companies or invest in companies. Yeah. So they're the owners of things. And then everyone else is kind of just getting by. You know, they get a salary, they're getting like different contracts, they're um, do doing work and getting paid. And th that just causes the gap to be bigger because, you know, the owners, the founders, the investors are getting more money. And yep. the people who are getting the salary are just kind of getting by, getting by, saving a bit of money. And fixed salary, yeah. Fixed salary or even like get, sort of charging more each time, but it's, it's very incremental, you know, but the people who own things. Yeah. Are, it's probably getting even worse now because of globalization and you're outsourcing to really cheap countries. So that's actually getting a lot worse, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, the, and the key is to see how to give some of the ownership to the customers and to the employees, to everyone else. Okay. So explain how, how that would, how would pan out in unit ventures. Definitely. So what unit provides is, is the technology for anyone to issue their own token. Uh -huh. So, Like for instance, this podcast could have its own token and then all the viewers of it, instead of being like participants or, or customers in, in enjoying the content, they could buy these tokens of this podcast mm -hmm. and feel that this podcast is, is theirs. They're, they have a sense of ownership of it. You know? mm -hmm. or if, if let's say you, you started a restaurant or if you started a, a gym or a, a supermarket or a, a nightclub, you know, you could issue tokens and all your, the community, the, the people um, going to your establishment, they can buy a piece of it. And then instead of there being two sides, one side with the, the founders and the investors, the other side with the customers and the employees, like everyone is an owner in these businesses. And it mm -hmm. makes the, the rich, the founders and investors more on an absolute level, but then everyone else gets a piece of the pie. So the pie, instead of being 100% owned by the founders and the investors, mm -hmm. it's owned maybe 80% or 70%. And that piece is worth more, but at least the rest of the pie is shared by everyone else. So that's going to solve the inequity. Okay. So, so it gives um, small businesses or freelancers uh, the ability to, to raise money uh, yeah. more democratized. You don't have to like go through an IPO or, or whatever, or do go through private equity. Angel investors, you know. Go so, it gives, so it gives smaller people the opportunity to raise funds easily. Yeah. And uh, people who, anyone who believes in them, the ability to have equity, 
Um, so what would be the relationship between, let's say, me, the, the podcast owner, and the person that buys my tokens? What, what do I need to offer in exchange? What is the dynamic? So it's, it's really up to the creator to decide. So the, the creator of the token could say, you know, if, if you own this amount of tokens, you can vote and decide what kind of content I produce. Okay. Or you, say, uh, you get X amount, like an hour of my time with 10 tokens, you know, mm -hmm. or you could say, um, decide what questions, you know, you could say uh, part of the advertising revenue uh, gets used to buy some tokens. So it's really up to you as the creator to kind of experiment and innovate. And mm -hmm. like touching on the point that you just mentioned uh, about raising financing, like unless you've, you're in the finance world, you have a track record, you know, you know a bunch of people who have like money and, and um, resources, it's very tough to raise money. So if, yep. if someone wanted to start a restaurant, they wanted to start a startup, like it's almost impossible. Like the fund I used to work at, we would get maybe 3,000 pitches a year and invest mm -hmm. in 10 companies. So if you think that's 2,990 people, like mm -hmm. companies who are basically told no. So it's lots yeah, of yeah. innovation there. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like it really uh, opens up um, you know a lot of opportunity, but also it to me f listening to it right now it it does sound really broad and it might even be daunting for some people. Like for example, like gosh, what terms should I offer, and and are they going to be fair, and are they going to bite me in the back, uh, you know, in the future, or as a as an investor, how do I make sure that I'm getting into a good investment? How is how would one look at this in, in terms of a framework or how to how to get educated in how to set up this dynamic? Yeah, great question. So one thing that we're focused on at Unit is is building this framework. So oh. like um, so, if a supporter, contributor, an investor would kind of maybe buy your podcast tokens with the assumption that it's probably not going to be worth anything and they're just going to mm -hmm. give money to kind of support the cause. So. That, that's like the, the kind of expectation. It's, it's not like this is going to make me a huge return. It's going to be worth a lot. And, and tokens, when they're created, will have the expectation that this isn't going to make money. And then if it maintains some level of sort of um, stability and growth, then it maybe moves from an F rating to an E rating, then a D, then a C. And like having this kind of framework be created is so important. And, and then from the creator side, you know, I think one needs to feel like not so much pressure, but rather like the ability to kind of experiment similar to the internet, you know, people used to think of this internet as, I used to think of the internet as like a really scary thing. Like you wouldn't put your credit card on the internet. because mm. it's camps. You know, you wouldn't um, create a business on the internet because internet businesses don't make money. Like look at yeah. the dot bubble. So it's yeah. like, it's really like um, a series of innovations and it's just so, so early now that there's yeah, so few um, uses of tokens at the moment. It's nowhere near mainstream adoption, but, people who kind of experiment with it will um, really reap the benefits, like applying technology to stocks and shares. Okay. Actually talk more about that, that tier system of F, E, D, C, because that's, that's starting to make more sense where I start off as a random podcast. And so you invest in me at your own risk. It's charity at this point. But if I do succeed, my token matures to a certain level that could actually result in a return. That actually makes a bit more sense now because when there's a fixed tier system, could you elaborate on that in more detail? Absolutely. So for instance, uh, Joe Rogan, you know, he took about eight years between his first podcast that on the Joe Rogan show to when Spotify gave him a $100 million contract. 
Yeah. And it was a lot of people who kind of shared the word of Joe Rogan, like this guy's amazing. You know, I learned so much. He introduced me to things. It's people who spent a lot of time listening to the podcast. Um, a lot of people um, were on the show, you know, but the only person who benefited from that $100 million deal was probably Joe Rogan. And I, I don't think he even got any investors, so just him. But there's a lot mm. of people that were instrumental to that success, you know. So if he had created a token from the beginning, you know, he could have gave some tokens to all the people who were on his show. You know, yeah, yeah. First hundred people who listen, like, or maybe 10 people listen to his first show. He's going to be like, guys, thank you so much for your time and, and listening to my first show. Like, here's um, like uh, some sort of um, appreciation of, of your time. And, and then it gives an opportunity for people to be more supportive. Like, for instance, if someone listens to this and they shared it on social media or they wrote a, a nice review, you know, that could be some token. So they feel a sense of ownership over this. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I don't want, I, I don't want, you know, we're, we're making a case study about my podcast, which is pretty cool, but yeah, that actually makes sense now. So it kind of like is a incentive system to bring people on board. Like if I invite you on my podcast, I'm like, Hey, would you like um, five shares of my token? Just have it. Right. And then maybe in the future, or if someone writes a nice review, maybe I give them one token and they can keep it. Um, can they trade it? Can they trade it in an open market? Yep. So it's really up to you as the creator to, de to define these rules. So it's kind of like building a website, you know, websites used to cost like a million dollars in the nineties and you mm -hmm. need to find like a computer expert. You need to hire a team. You need to set up your own servers. And, and then the cost of building a website kind of decreased um, mm -hmm. more people had computers. Um, yeah. So it, like creating a token a few years ago, you know, you used to cost a lot of money. Now with unit, it costs nothing. And um, it's super easy to create. People can kind of, experiment yeah. even like individual personal tokens so i could have a michael token and then i could give you some you know i could give some of my family some i could give some of my friends some and let's say if i was a musician and i became super successful they wouldn't just say you know i knew michael when he was a musician when nobody listened to his music you know yeah. i was the only one in this sort of um performance place and 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 now look he's playing at wembley or he's playing at huge stadiums you know mm -hmm. and they wouldn't just Say, be saying that they were my friend, but they would have had some tokens of myself and then be able to benefit from that like creation of value. So that's gotcha. gonna So it's like, not just, it, it's not just um, equity or a share in your venture or whatever. It can also be a collectible. It's almost like, you know, I meet you and I, I gave you my autograph for some reason and you just kept it. And then I, I became suddenly really famous five years from now. And then you, you're, you can frame that autograph or auction it off or whatever, because it's like a, a it's a collectible. Definitely. And I could even say part of my net worth goes to these tokens. I could say part of my yearly um, salary or my yearly earnings go to these token, my, Michael tokens. So it's, wow. it's really up to the creator to kind of define the terms and experiment with it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I see, I see the value proposition of this, this entire token scheme now. Um, yeah. Did you want to say something? You were laughing. Yeah, I think it's amazing. You know, just so many people, so few people sort of see the, the few, like the, 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 how groundbreaking this is going to be like the internet really yeah. transformed the access to information, you know, yeah. before yeah. the internet, if, if I wanted to learn about something, I would go to maybe an expert like you and I'll say, Hey Jack, can you teach me about this? You know, I, mm -hmm. I would need to go to a library then spend hours there looking at different books, finding, you know, a few lines to kind of teach me about a particular topic. Then the internet came out of Wikipedia and all of these different websites. That, that mm -hmm. was really funny. Then the mobile phone, you know, 
that really helped with communication. Before, like if you met someone, you know, you could write down their email address, you could write down their phone number, but then, you know, communication wasn't super fluid. Then yeah. with, with different apps, you know, communication is just seamless. So mm-hmm. where really tokens come in is, um, is similar to how the internet transformed access to information, um, the mobile phone improved access to communication. This is going to really solve access to, to value and mm-hmm. having value flow around. Okay. So it's, I think it's going to be even more profound than both the internet and the mobile phone. And mm-hmm. people, it's just so early. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, lots of questions, but let me know when, let's say you're hitting like the five minute mark when you need to go. Cause I definitely want to get that tour. Um, but before that, um, so obviously Univentures is a, is a company you got bills to pay cause you've got staff all around the world. So how are you guys, how do you, obviously you guys really need to make money out of this. So how are you profiting off of this? Are you collecting a, a percentage from all this? Definitely. So we take a service fee on the um, pr- pr- products and services being sold. So we have like a few different marketplaces, one for like buying art, one for yoga, one for coaching, one for developers, for designers. And every time like a, a customer sort of purchases something from a provider, there's service fees being taken. So that's mm-hmm. kind of, um, like where like the underlying business or token model behind it. Similar to when you order an Uber, you know, you pay. 25% service fee to Uber. Yeah. When you, you book an Airbnb, there's also a service fee happening. Okay. So you're, you, you, you act as the, the service provider. Exactly. I, but, and the nice thing is that the service provider is not owned by us, the, the founders and the investors. It's owned by all of the, the drivers, the customers. So Uber sort of started in 2010. It became worth $80 billion in, in eight years. It went probably on the stock exchange. They have about 40,000 drivers. Mm-hmm. So oh no, four, uh, two million drivers. So forty thousand dollars per driver of value was um, created, but none of it went to the drivers or to the customers. So we're showing how, in a marketplace like Airbnb or Uber, the drivers or the host or the customers get some piece of the value being created. So not so not only are you enabling people to issue their own tokens, you are issuing your own tokens. Exactly. So let's say let's say I'm a pod let's say back to my podcast example again, I issue my tokens to other people, but I can also hold your tokens. Definitely. Yep. So and, we have a unit token. That's yeah. like a parent token. Yeah. And then we have a, but a few industry tokens. So we basically have like a, a token for the art world and we're getting some of the leading art collectors, some of the leading artists to, to buy into them mm-hmm. or to hold them. And then yeah. that kind of provides the, the credibility and the recognition for this art industry token. And yeah, gets um, products and services being bought and sold using yeah. this industry currency. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is obviously very crypto related. It's in the crypto industry, and I've dabbled in the crypto industry a lot. And um, one one space I've been into is the the NFT space, the non fungible token space. And we, they were talking about um, social tokens, right? It's it's very similar to that, isn't it? Uh, to an extent. I mean, I I feel that NFTs and non fungible tokens they aren't as interesting for me as um, fun- fungible tokens, just because it's harder to get the liquidity for it in the sense that if I have an NFT, it's not clear like what it's worth because it is not bought and sold as often as a normal token. Right. So right. for me, like 
fungible tokens are much more exciting than non-fungible tokens. Okay, and this one uh, unit is obviously a fungible token because it's just it's just tokens. Exactly, people buying and selling it, uh, people using it to sort of exchange for products and services. It's being backed by the service fees. Right. Similar to equity in in the project. Yeah. Now, um, with tokens and you know with the crypto space also comes with the dark side of it being, you know, people buying and selling out of speculation and pump and dumps and all like that. Um, how, do, you, do you also foresee um, unit token suddenly being used as a speculative instrument? And if so, would that sort of kind of, uh, would, would that be a threat or jeopardize the credibility of the project if people start pumping and dumping it and then there's no there's all this volatility and people getting trying to get involved for the actual utility of it have to like hedge their bets and be afraid of it dumping and all like that do you how do you how do you see that happening that's pretty much the whole crypto space at the moment in terms yeah yeah of being entirely speculatively driven uh needing more actual underlying problems to be solved uh products and services to be offered value actually created so with unit the way we look at it is very similar to a traditional company so with a traditional company, you know, you look at what are the assets it owns? So does it own anything? And what is the multiple of the profit it makes? That's kind of like how like traditional companies are valued. Yep. So with unit, we think of our token as just being a multiple of the service fees that we make. Yep. So if we if we have a hundred million in um, like transactions happening uh, this year, we, we make about five million in, in fees from that. So five percent. And five million in fees with a twenty PE ratio, like 20 times of the profit it makes a year, gives a hundred million dollar valuation. So okay. we're super clear that, you know, this is like the service fees we make, this is what the token should be valued. And if it's valued at maybe $400 million, then like we, we, we publicly would say, and you know, we think it's overvalued at the moment, you know, we're not at that stage. Like, okay. um, yeah. And we, I believe that all tokens will come to this realization where it does need like some sort of- um, Intrinsic value assessment. Exactly. Because internet companies, you know, people used to say it's an internet company. It doesn't need to make money. It doesn't need to create value. You just need more users. Um, and then a bigger company is going to buy you or you go on the stock exchange and, and you're done. You know, then you're internet millionaires. And people in the crypto space, you know, they feel, oh, you know, you don't have to generate real value. You know, you just need to get it distributed. Um, tokens are a bit different. And it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get to a stage. I think there's going to be another big bubble bigger than 2017. But then after that bubble, you know, it's going to be really the, the tokens that kind of create real value. So, you know, this podcast is real value. It's, yep. it's it, people enjoying the content. They're learning a lot from it. They're getting inspired. And, and that's what needs to happen um, mm -hmm. to the token space. It needs to kind of deliver real value. Okay. Do you have any competitors or threats? <laughs> I don't think so at the moment. It's just so early in the space and yeah, I mean, there are a few similar platforms for issuing tokens, but I, I feel that we feel that they don't really see the future of the economy as the, like the same way we do. Um, and, and then in terms of the marketplace side, you know, we hope that there'll be more competition just because, you know, we want this reality to happen. We want the future of work to be where, you know, if I was working for a company, I lost my job or I, I don't enjoy, I resign. I don't need to make a CV and apply to a bunch of places. You know, I just need to create a profile on one of, the unit marketplaces and then I wake up tomorrow morning and I have a bunch of messages from people wanting to hire me or wanting mm -hmm. to work with me and then I'm not just making my money by doing work for people 
but also holding a portfolio of a hundred different tokens, like this podcast token, like maybe a jet token, maybe the villa I'm in, like uh, some a token of, of these places. Yep. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the future we imagine. Got it. Um, so talk about uh, where you are now in terms of your roadmap and when you expect to, you know, roll out all of this to the general public. And then I guess you can um, lead that into giving us a tour of, of, of Unit Ventures HQ or, or at least the community. I don't know if it's the HQ or just a, a model community. Thanks. I, I'm actually in my villa at the moment, so I love to maybe give a tour another time if that's okay. Oh, okay. That's fine. But yeah, I'd love to show you around. Like, it's amazing what we've built here. Like, okay. the longest pool in Bali is 80 meters. We have co-working space for like 400 people. I love how you say, I'm in my villa. You wouldn't you wouldn't get to say that if you're like in Berlin or in, in Shanghai or somewhere, right? That that really speaks to the quality of living in Bali. <laughs> amazing. Oh, I'm just, just streaming from my villa. Yeah. Really awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so where are we at the moment? So we have like maybe about 25,000 people in our community, like using our platforms actively in about 30 cities. Um, our platforms are up and running. Our most popular platforms are the one for coaching. So uh, people are looking for a business coach, a life coach. A so, so it's active right now? For sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're growing um, and yeah, act actively growing. I can show you a bunch of our apps here. Um, sure, sure. We have like one for... For artists, so you can kind of one for personal trainers, for event organizers, for handyman, for hairdressers. So, yeah, our coaching one's really popular. Our yoga platform, so booking a, a private yoga teacher or a group mm. yoga teacher. Our developer developer platform, our designer platform, our marketing marketing expert platform. So these are the ones that are doing really well. And, and I guess several others, like for instance, the the bike. Um, rental or bike a purchase platform or property platform are still quite early and we're kind of working hard on finding good partners to help us grow these or mm -hmm. sort of investing in uh, people to kind of put together on that okay speaking of um you know all these different skills um i my in my last podcast with john we talked about you know tech disrupting the labor force and having mass unemployment um, just maybe want to get your thoughts on uh, what you see the future of work to be. You mentioned coaches and yoga teachers, and where do you think the jobs will be at in the future? I think much more creative, mm -hmm. and I think people would work a lot less or think of work as, as not something that they have to do or like something that they really enjoy. You know, um, if you looked at maybe the early 1900s, a lot of people were working in farms, so like maybe. 30 to 60 percent you know in different countries in the world were working in agriculture and then machines kind of came and replaced a lot of the the jobs you know a lot of the, the plowing a lot of the the seed sowing were, were done by machines and then people sort of migrated to working in offices and then i think one thing uh COVID has done this year it's um it's accelerated the uh migration from working in offices to working in places of a lot of nature working from home working from um, anywhere really and um, I think the future is where people work like three-day weeks so it'll be like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday um, the work will be much more effective uh, in terms of like not not doing things which aren't creating as much value companies will be a lot smaller so instead of big corporations it'll be much more distributed um, there'll be a lot more entrepreneurs so access to financing will be a lot easier so if someone wants to start a company they would start off with a, a very small amount of money, maybe 
a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars or tens of thousands just to kind of get started. If they show it to be successful, then, you know, more of the community can kind of support them. Yeah. So, yeah these are do you see this transition from repetitive day-to-day -day work to creativity as a challenge? Because at least for me um, in Thailand, um, yeah, the, the education system here really has killed creativity in general and, and all with rote learning and in a lot of societies. And, you know, even though, you know, we, we, it's great that jobs are going to be more creative, but there's a huge bulk of the population that are doing um, mundane, repetitive work. It's going to be a huge challenge to, to them. You know, how do you, how do you see this transition happening? I don't think it's actually going to be that tough. I think one key piece of creativity is confidence. So, you know, if someone believes that they can do something, you know, yeah. then they'll, they'll be confident enough to sort of experiment. So like when I left Singapore uh, to go to move to London, you know, I, I remember like one thing I sort of needed to work on was my confidence. So being yeah. able to kind of talk to people, being able to make mistakes and feel okay with it, being able to experiment. And then, you know, when you have the confidence to make mistakes, you know, that's when people get creative. So I think yeah. um, sort of creating an environment where people feel, you know, it's okay to try something out and not to work, you know, and mm -hmm. it's okay to, um, to do things that nobody else is doing. It's okay to kind of, um, yeah, just experiment. So I think it's it's just a matter of time before, you know, communities and environments are created so that people feel much more comfortable to, to give it a shot. Because mm. at the moment, so I grew up in Singapore where, you know, arguably the, the school system apparently doesn't foster creativity, where it's extremely academic, you know, it's uh, very much exam-oriented and based. I, I feel what's needed is just a very supportive and constructive environment where people aren't judging one another, you know, people are giving it a shot. Like for instance, starting this podcast, you know, it's something extremely creative. You're, you're building something and, and that takes a lot of confidence. You know, it takes the ability to kind of go, you know, I don't care if people don't agree with what I create, you know, I, I, um, I believe in, in creating like something which I, I believe to be of value. So if, if everyone in the population had this confidence and belief and, and then having people, sort of support it so whether it's like myself get on like having the honor to be on the show people like listening to it you know I, I think that's really exciting because I think in the next five years people are going to realize you know instead of it being zero sum where if let's say you do well you know it's at the expense of me it's more like if you do well you know that's great because now I'm going to be inspired and I'm going to support you and I'm going to do well too mm -hmm. and yeah that, that's just needs to happen because what one big um, improvement which could happen in society is is one where everyone realizes you know, it's, it's one where it's like a bigger pie, you know, sort of allows everyone to benefit. Yeah, that's so true about the confidence thing, because I mean, for me, I've even for me, I've, I've struggled with that a lot with coming out with my own stuff because fear of criticism or having to get it right immediately. And you realize that in the end, you know, people are actually quite supportive of you when you want to do something. And you can always pivot and tweak as you go. If you look at my channel, the stuff I've done, I've pivoted so, so many times and you realize that, you know what, people, people are supportive of that. And yeah, I, I really thank you for, for coming on the show. I'm looking at the, uh, the time here because I, I do want to be respectful of your schedule. So maybe um, finish with um, how people can find out more about yourself and Unit Ventures and, and maybe participate and any other things that you want to promote. Definitely. So if you go to uh, unit.ventures, that shows um, s some of the marketplaces that we're working on. If you go to unitnetwork.org, 
uh, that, that will also show you uh, some of the different marketplaces. If you want to get in touch, I'm at Michael on Telegram. So just at uh, M-I-C-H-A-E-L. Um, also on WhatsApp, it's uh, plus four four seven four four six seven seven three five six one, or my email is m at m i h e a l y dot com. So yeah, feel free to reach out. Um, I, I've had so much help, and um, pe- like so many people, have really been instrumental to sort of my personal growth and my journey. So excited to see how I can help or support anyone else. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. So I'll put all those contact details in the description of the of the videos and the podcast with that. Is that okay? Yeah, cool. absolutely. And also, also maybe a final thing. So we're also ru- running like a unit masters program. Mm-hmm. It's sort of empowering people to sort of be a successful entrepreneur or provider. Um, it's just a six week long program. We, we currently work with a lot of uh, providers in our marketplace. So if, if anyone's interested in sort of applying or being a part, like it's, it's kind of like a fellowship. We, we start um every every two months and it's, it runs six weeks we've got super inspiring speakers and um lots of events um yeah so i think that would be something nice so where could someone find out about that um so it's it, it's unitmasters.org u-n-i-t-m-a-s-t-e-r-s.org unitmasters.org okay. and Great. the applications there and okay. yeah, we would love to see how we can sort of provide support to people who really um yeah. nice all right, Michael, thank you so much for being on. This was really eye-opening about, you know, the tokens and, and the democratization of equity and all like that. And um, hey, man, um, when all COVID clears up, maybe you can give me a tour in person of the of the place. Absolutely. And yeah, excited to see my Thailand. Please come to Bali. Looking forward to seeing it. I would love to. I've always wanted to come and it's just all been always been pushed back. So I have, I have um, more of a reason. You're in Ubud, is that right? I'm in Chengdu at the moment, but Chengdu. in, in Ubud also, that's where our village is. And we're oh, that's where it is. Also here in, in Chengdu. Okay, so, great. Yeah. Thank you so much.